Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 102 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is January 27th. 2010. We got a good short show for you this week on the podcast. We've got a lot of recruiting to get to later on in the show with Gerard Martinez. We want to talk about the team, the new staff, some of some of the effects it has on the players. When you have staff changeover like this, if you have any questions or comments for us, drop us an email. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. And we always love to talk to Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment. Coach, what's going on? How are you? Well, I'll tell you what, uh, everything is just great. Uh, we're into the offseason, but there really isn't an offseason. You work year-round now in college football, the NFL. doesn't make any difference which party. Here it is and what sports you're in. And uh, I'll tell you, it's going to be really exciting because uh, on February the 3rd, next Wednesday, all across the nation, everybody's got to be sitting and waiting to see what school gets who. And I tell you, it gets, the closer we get to it, uh, the more interesting it gets on verbal commits and decommits and who's the, being silent. And all of a sudden, a, a surprise email comes across and someone's signed. I mean, this is really, to me, one of the most exciting days of the year when the National Letter of Intent comes out for college football. It certainly is, Coach, and we're going to have a fun show next week. We've got to figure out all the logistics of how we're going to do that, but uh, I have to go to a few high schools in the morning, but we'll figure it out. We'll get to, we'll get a signing day show up for you on the Peristyle Podcast. Before I forget, I just want to thank our sponsors for this segment, Southern California Tickets. SCTickets.com is the website, or if you want to give them a call, 1-800-888-7287. You need Lakers, Clippers tickets, stuff like that. I went to a Lakers game recently. It was a lot of fun, actually. Concerts, sporting events theater, anything like that, just give sctickets.com a try. We use them. And, uh, Coach, we have a lot of questions this week. I mean, it, we, it's been a kind of fun last few shows. We had our 100th episode, uh, We had, you know, which was a big one with all the coaching changes stuff, our 101 last week. Signing day coming up next week. We'll have our two-year anniversary, I think, in a couple weeks there. So we got a lot of, a lot of big shows right in a row and a lot of stuff to talk about the Trojans right now. Well, I tell you, it's an exciting time of the year, especially with the Tro- uh, Trojan coaching change. So, and they're starting to fill their staff up. So, I know a lot of people will be wondering uh, about that. And uh, as you know, Cece just said <laughs> hi to everyone out there. And you don't know in dog talk. You know what that means? She'd happy be- New Year! Happy- oh, very so nice. She's saying Happy New Year to everybody. All of her dog buddies out there that are listening. <laughs> Thanks, Cece, for that. Well, yeah, let's uh, start with the staff first. Uh, Jared sent in a question about the new coaching staff and what's going on there. So, I mean, just to get people up to speed on what's going on, uh, Brian Schneider, the uh, special teams guy, went with Pete Carroll. Um, Jeremy Bates, the uh, quarterback coach you know, for offensive coordinator, he's going up there as well. And Ken Norton Jr., the linebacker coach, he will be going up to Seattle with Pete Carroll. Now, uh, Lane Kiffin, obviously the new head coach. Monty Kiffin's going to be defensive coordinator. Ed Ordron is the um, recruiting coordinator. And a couple of new guys that they've hired, Willie Mac Garza, uh, will coach defensive backs. He's out of Texas and will really kind of take in 
take over the role that Ken Norton Jr. had recruiting the state of Texas. Uh, James Craig, not sure what his role will be yet. I talked to him briefly uh, before his number got changed, and uh, we actually broke that one, Coach. We had that one. We were all over that. But he's going to come in as some kind of offensive assistant, Pro- maybe offensive line. We're not really sure quite yet. And then uh, the, the latest rumor going around, Joe Barry, uh, we're hearing that's going to happen, but it's not official yet. Uh, might be sometime later on Wednesday or Thursday. Um, but there's, he, Joe Barry came out and told reporters that he had left the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to uh, join USC. And he's coming back uh, to USC where he's been before and was a linebacker coach there. He was actually up for the defensive coordinator position, people thought, at Tennessee. So it looks like he's going to coach linebackers at USC. But that's that's the new staff as, as we have it right now. Coach, any thoughts on the people they've put together and how that came came to be? Well, obviously, on the defensive side of the football, it's the Monty Giffen staff. There's no question about it. They've all worked with him. Uh, he uh, probably has final say as far as uh, what type of technicians they are. And uh, also, they have to be great recruiters, which I hear they really are. I hear that uh, Greg is a great recruiter. Orgeron is a great recruiter. Uh, Monty Kiffin doesn't really go out on the road, I do not believe. But I believe when he gets players into his office, he talks to them about it if their future goal is to get in the NFL, uh, he can help them uh, get there and build the confidence in, uh, in them. And, and also when people ask for him, ask an evaluation of, of the players, I'm sure that they respect his evaluation. So that's going to be good. Jill Berry played at USC, uh, wants to come home. I think the number one thing that's important about putting a staff together is when someone wants to be there. And these guys want to be at USC. That's very important, but you can point that out to the recruits, hey, I could have been the defensive coordinator at Tennessee, or I could have stayed in the NFL, but I wanted to be at USC. And I think this is exactly the type of staff they're putting together. As far as uh, the offensive line is concerned, uh, I'm not quite sure. I thought they named uh, that offensive line coach from Tennessee to be the offensive line coach, but they haven't done that yet. Well, it's they. I mean, I think a lot of people assumed that, and some people said he's the offensive line coach. But even when I talked to him, he was like, "My role hasn't been defined yet." And the statement that USC put out when he was hired mentioned nothing of what position he would coach. So, okay, yeah, as far as we know right now, he he has not been defined. It you know it would make sense that he could be the offensive line coach, but nothing official right now. Right, and then also there's a lot of positions you don't even talk about. I mean, you talk about the strength and conditioning coach and Chris Carlisle, who I think is one of the top uh, strength and conditioning coaches in the country, and for him to leave USC I think is also going to be tough as far as refilling him. They've already named uh, an interim assistant of uh, Chris Carlisle to take over, so there isn't a drop-off during the offseason. But when Chris went up to Seattle, man, I'll tell you, that was a blow to me because he is a, he's originally one of the coaches in, in, that came with Pete Carroll as far as to uh, USC, and he does a great job with the Trojans. So, you know, but when you're a head coach, when you're a head coach, you've got to have people that work for you. Uh, you know, even if you come in and you ask all the current coaches to resign and reapply, that's fine. Their loyalty has to be to Lane Kiffin, not to someone else or a carryover. They have to work for Lane Kiffin. Their loyalty has to be to him. And uh, right now, that's what he's done as far as uh, carryovers. Rocky Seto, I understand it's not going to be back, and he's a great kid. 
but I hope he lands uh, somewhere. You know, a year ago, this is what the sport of football is today. A year ago, he could be could have been the defensive coordinator at the University of Washington. This year, he's out of a job. So, you know, it, it's it's a very difficult thing when you have coaching changes. It not only affects the head coach, but affects all the families of the assistant coaches. Because I don't know if Todd McNair is going to be hell over, or John Morty, John John Morton, or or any of these other guys. I don't know. They're sort of vague. I understand they're helping in recruiting, uh, but who knows what's going to happen. So, you know, uh, I, I think his staff is starting to fall in place. You still have not only the strength and conditioning coach to hire, you've got all the video guys if you want to keep them. You've got all the graduate assistants and decide if you want to keep them or get other graduate assistants. You've got secretaries. Are you going to keep the secretaries that were there before? Or are you going to bring your own secretaries in that are loyal to you and do it your way? So it really, when you bring in a new coach, it affects every part of the football program, every part of it. And uh, so you're going to see a lot of new faces around USC in the football program and in the offices and in the study halls and, and everywhere else. So, you know, as they are announced and as you're around USC a lot as you are, Ryan, You'll start to see new faces, and you'll start to say, what happened to this person or that person? And, and there'll be some people that are, are gone. Yeah, Coach. And it, it, the one position we haven't mentioned yet, and you talked about some of the other coaches that could be retained. I mean, Pat Rule doesn't look like he will be. Look, uh, Rocky Setter, like you said, was actually out there recruiting, and he's not going to be brought back in. I think that the writing was kind of on the wall with Willie Mac Garza and, and Joe Barry. Um, but the offensive co- coordinator spot, and we've uh, – we have a big hot board up on uscfootball.com. I think we have 12 guys listed there and some of the names of people that could be p- possible offensive coordinators. And it's, USC could really go a number of different directions. Um, Lane Kiffin said you know, he'd like to call plays. He didn't say for sure that he was going to, but he's done it in the past. Um, I think if he got a big-name guy, if, if a Norm Chow or someone came in, you know, and we talked about that before, then I think Norm Chow would be calling a plays. But you know, there, it looks like there's a really good chance that there's a guy that's more of a quarterback coach comes in and uh, that can you know work with the offensive game plan and stuff that not necessarily has to call the plays. But there's a lot of opportunities out there. But that's that's the big one that's left. I mean, there's some other position coaches as well. But the offensive coordinator coach, that's the real big one left on the table right now. We don't know if it'll even be filled before signing day. Well, I don't know if it will be either. Uh, and I personally think that Lane Kiffin wants to call the plays. I think he wants to call an offense or have an offense that he's familiar with, just like Pete Carroll kept changing coaches, but he still had the same offense. And I think that's something that head coaches like to have a feel of. He knows what's going to be run defensively, because he's been around that all his life with his dad. Offensively, a a head coach wants to be familiar and be able to call a player, understand it. And I'm not sure he wants to give that up. I'm not sure, but we'll wait and see what happens. And, of course, that's his decision. And being a head coach requires a lot of different outside uh, things that you have to do and takes you away from the game planning and things that are necessary to do as a coordinator. So uh, we'll have to see what happens with that. I'm really looking forward to meeting the staff. I'm looking forward to watch the staff work as far as in practice. I'm also anxiously looking forward to practice as far as seeing if it's the same format as far as what Pete Carroll had, the way the first period and second period and so on. But that's what Lane Kiffin learned when he was at USC. I don't know if he carried that down to Tennessee or not, because I never went through a practice there. But I'm anxious to see just how much change 
in the procedures there are from Pete Carroll and how much Lane Kiffin will retain and how much will be Lane Kiffin in the future at USC. Yeah, well, I'll be watching that for sure. And uh, our next question, Coach, is from Steve. And kind of a follow-up from the previous question. What does it mean? What do all these coaches, cha- these coaching changes mean for the players, the guys that are on the team? I mean, you get a player that comes in that was recruited by, say, his position coach like Pat Rule and Pete Carroll and maybe like offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian from a couple of years ago or something like that. And he worked with strength coach Chris Carlisle since he's got there. You know, say he came in and he was a redshirt freshman this last year or something like that. Those four coaches that he's been closest to are all gone from the staff. Uh, you know, there's a new regime obviously coming in. As a former coach, what do you think it does mean to some of these players when many of the coaches that brought you into the school are no longer there? Well, it definitely is a uh, I wonder what's going to happen feeling because you are close to your position coach. And, you know, you really go to a university now because of the university, don't get me wrong, but also who the coaches are who the head coach is, who your position coach is, and so on. You really do. It's not just because of the academics. A lot of people think, oh, yes, it's just because of the academics. Now, it is for some students, okay, but not for all students. So, it's the you know, the players become very attached to their coaches and can talk to their coaches about personal things and so on, shut up the door and, and go through things if they're having personal problems and so on with, with someone. Relationships are really uh made and cemented and uh, I think the first thing that a coach has to do when he comes into a new situation is let his players know that he cares about them let his players know that he wants to know and meet their parents and girlfriends and so on and wants them to know I know you shouldn't immediately know who I am but I hope that during the time that we're dating before we get married before the season gets here that you believe in me and you'll sell out for me and the way you can never spank a child or never spank a player or yell at a player unless that player or that individual knows that you care about him and love him. All That's right. the same thing with a mother or father. You know, you might get a spanking, but you deserve the spanking you're getting. And that shows love, but you're trying to correct someone. So I really, I really think the first thing that play, coaches should do is when they come into a new situation – and they're meeting their group of players, so all the team, is to make those kids feel as though uh, that they care about them. And once they care about them, they'll start to forget the, the, the past. And, and it's going to take some time. So it takes some time to get that going. But I used to be able to go down my coach's office, and the, and the offices that had a lot of kids hanging on it or sitting on the coach's desk or whatever – I knew I never had a problem with that coach and his relationship with his players. If I would go down the hall and I'd see a coach in there always by himself and none of his position players in there, I started to think, why? Why aren't players hanging out with their coaches? Or when they're not supposed to be there, they're there. When You can tell when they love a coach, they're in his office and the coach has to say, hey, guys, i got to go to work. Could you leave, please? I'm going to get in trouble. And, and, and that, so, you know, there's a lot of signs that you can tell on, on how players feel about their coaches, but it, it is, a, it is a big thing, but I think at USC, it's not going to be as critical as what people might think because the team got excited when they knew the head coach had been at SC and they knew him. And when coach Oak was coming back 
And that was something that gave them a feeling of the past, the glory years under Pete Carroll. And I think that's what they're looking for. They want to bring that back. And I think that uh, they feel a little bit let down and they don't feel the same pride after last year's performance. And they know now they have a new door to walk through. And I think that that's what Coach Kiffin will sell. Yeah, well, it'll it's going to make spring practice and fall camp all that much more interesting just because of the new staff. And let's see how the players react. And like you said, it's going to take some time for them to feel comfortable. But having coaches that have been at USC before and some guys that will be returning to their alma mater, I think that will help a lot as well, Coach. Well, let's go to – we have a question, a couple questions from Art. He wanted to know about the uh, starting safety spots next year. We got uh, you know Mays, uh, Harris, and uh, – Josh Pinkard, who was you know really a true safety, all are gone. Um, it's going to be wide open, but he wanted to get your thoughts on guys like T.J. McDonald, Juwanza Starling, uh, Byron Moore, who could play some cornerback, and Torin Harris, who could also play some cornerback. But some of those guys possibly filling in for either of the starting safety spots. You know, I, I really think that uh, they're going to be fine. I think that uh, you got McAllister, too. And, and I'll tell you, I think he's a real center fielder, if you know what I'm talking about. He's a guy that likes to go to the ball, that has great instinct as a safety. When you play safety, you've got to be there around the ball. You've got you to have hunches. You've got to have feel. You've got to know where to be. You don't, you don't, you're, not, you're a hitter, yes, but your main objective back there is to help your corners, help your strong safety cover. And you're in a position – you know, in a cover two or whatever, to be in the position to take the deep guy or go for the football. And I think they've got some guys that can do that that have team speed and, and will do a good job. I'm not worried about the secondary. They have some great athletes, especially with right back as a corner. I mean, he's a starter last year. He's a great player. They've got some great young players. What's the name of the young player? That uh, Hall is his name? Is that oh, Pat- just got back? Patrick Hall, yeah. So he, he's right. still I, hurt. I so mean, he's he, a great player. Yeah. He's we probably we probably won't see him in the spring, but we we should in the fall. So he had a knee problem, right? Well, when he comes back too, I mean, and gets going, he's going to be a great player. So you know, it's going to be young. They're going to be young. They're going to be new, and you're going to make some mistakes with them. But I think also you when you got talent, you can coach talent. Where you really have a problem is when you can't when you don't have any talent. You can't coach if you don't have any talent. And I think that's why it was so important. For Monty Kiffin to get a great secondary coach that's worked with him. Because the techniques of playing secondary are very, very uh, delicate. You really have to know the secondary to coach the secondary. You really do. I almost used to say I didn't want to hire a coach that didn't play in the secondary. I really believe that. Because I think that playing in the secondary and knowing how you're out there all by yourself and knowing what you have to do and You've got to be tough. You've still got to be able to tackle and do these things. Is something that's really, really important. In fact, didn't they bring a corner coach from Tennessee that's going to be coaching the corners who's a graduate assistant? Aren't they bringing one? Uh, besides Willie Mac Garza? Yeah. Uh, not that I'm aware of. There I was a, like a Scott Thompson. His... There was a Scott Thompson guy I think is going to be an assistant. I'm not sure where he's going to be, but he's supposed to be like Garza, a... yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I call him Greg earlier, but Garza, yeah, he's going to be coaching the secondary. But he's got, you've got to really know the secondary and the techniques of playing uh, in the secondary. But there's one mistake in the secondary, and, and you get hit six points. 
So when you have confidence, though, wow, it's great. I mean, when you see NFL corners cover and take away an entire top receiver in the NFL by himself, you say, my goodness. And it's great to watch that happen. And I think they've got players that can do that once they develop. They don't, they don't have a lot of experience, but they've got players that have athletic ability. And I'd rather coach players that have athletic ability than players that have experience that don't have that. So uh, I think they'll, they'll be young, but they'll be good. Now, the position I'm really worried about, really, uh, linebackers. Uh, that, that's a position that uh, really needs to be worked on, too, and they need to improve, and they need to get bigger and stronger and understand the defense and so on. So it's going to be interesting to just watch how that goes, too. All right. Uh, the second part of the question, we want to talk about – um, the defensive line position, uh, Coach Orgeron coming in, uh, Jethro Franklin on the way out. Uh, what do you think about the differences between those two coaching styles? It'll be Orgeron's second time at USC. Uh, it'll, you know, it was Franklin's second time at USC as well. What, what have you seen when you've seen those guys? What are the kind of differences between their styles? Well, you know, uh, Coach O is Coach O. You can't really describe him. He's a unique uh, individual. I mean, he's not only a great spiritual type of leader, he's tough, he's aggressive, and he's the type of guy that you, you hate when you play him, play for him, but you love him. Uh, he's a Marv Goo type of guy. For Trojans that are out there to remember Marv Goo, understand that. I mean, he'll headbutt you if he, if he, if he feels like it or if you deserve it. Not that he does that anymore. You can't do that in college coaching, but... He, he's the type of guy that when you see him, you say, oh, my gosh, I want to walk the other way in the hallway. Because if I did something wrong, and maybe he knows about it, maybe he doesn't. Or I missed study hall. I wonder if he knows about it. Or I missed a weight workout. I wonder if he knows about it. Or I was late to practice. Uh, does he know about it? He, he's going to be the enforcer right on that staff. I mean, and I think it's very necessary to have an enforcer. Uh, you love playing for him uh, as far as the way you perform, but he makes you a better football player. He brings a lot of discipline to you, and you learn to play hard. If you don't play hard, you're not going to play. And uh, I think he can uh, raise your level of ability because of the intensity that he brings you. He has great intensity when he coaches in himself. I mean, you'll hear him all over the football field when he coaches. I think that's something he brings USC's defense and maybe – was lacking a little bit last year. He makes you what you say tougher. He makes you tougher, but you better be tough to be able to play for him. If you're not tough, you can't play for him. I thought towards the end of the year, the defensive line last year sort of dropped off. Didn't play at the same intensity level that it did earlier in the year. We weren't seeing Casey make the plays. We didn't see the ends make the plays that they were making early in the season. And, I, and I'm not saying that's coaching. I'm just saying they weren't doing it. So I think that Orgeron will, will bring an intensity level uh, to the defensive line that's necessary, which you call intimidating the offensive line. And they'll work on the offensive line at SC, and I'll tell you, that'll make the offensive line a lot tougher too because you better learn to survive against the defensive techniques that Orgeron teaches the defensive linemen. So you've got to get better as an offensive line, but you're going to face these guys every day. And uh, I, just think, I just think the defensive line will be better because of the type of coaching that he does. Franklin, 
a little bit different, sort of uh, a little bit more reserved, but yet can get mad. But Orgeron's a different level. He's at a different, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? He's he's at a different level all the time. He isn't. He you you've got to be ready to play when you play for Orgeron. You don't want to come off the field on your side of the field if you messed up. You want to run <laughs> off on the other side. You really do. You want to run off on the other side and say, "Can I stand over here a while?" <laughs> Yeah, I love the guy, okay? I love the guy. It'll be fun to hear his voice booming at uh, practices again, so I think a lot of the fans and media will be looking forward to that. Uh, next question from DJ. He wanted to know if you thought Monty Kiffin will be exclusively running his famous Tampa 2 scheme or something else. Or something else. And uh, he, the reason is he felt that in his Tampa 2, it, he thinks that linebackers have to drop into coverage more and utilize the speed, and that's something that USC has at linebacker right now with Smith. Gallipo and Morgan, because they're all lightning fast. I agree with what this gentleman said. I really do. I First of all, when you're noted for something, you know a defense, you don't change. You do what you know. You, you don't change. When you change after you have the years of experience that he does, you know all the adjustments. You've seen all the type of offenses that you have to play against. You know what works. You know what doesn't work with the defense. You know the positions, the calls. You know all of that type of stuff. So, after you've had the number of years, he's not experimenting anymore. I mean, he's like a doctor that's at 100 or 1,000 heart transplants. I mean, uh, you know, he's learned by mistakes already. He, he now knows how to react to this defense or that offense if they're hurting you with this or that. So he isn't going to change his defense or change his schemes. He's going to run with the same thing. It's just that for you, are, if you're good enough on offense to beat him, as far as what he's going to do. He's going to have his team ready to play. They're going to be sound. They're going to be They're going to be exactly what that gentleman said, in position to make a play. Uh, and, and he's not going to change anything. He's the technician. He's the doctor. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a guy in charge of the defense. I don't think he'll, you'll ever hear him raise his voice. He's got other people to do that. He's a guy that says, hand me the scaffold. Let me little do a little dissecting on this offense. Right, this is what we're going to do on this surgery. And he's going to do surgery to other people's offenses and so on, to the defense that he knows. If he was to try to run another defense, then he'd be learning. He's past learning. He's now at the point of teaching. He's not just teaching players. He's teaching coaches. Coaches come and sit down and talk to him about ways of doing certain schemes and so on. So that's the difference of what you have at USC now as far as a real true defensive coordinator. Not that they haven't had him before, but this is a guy that's not going to leave his office. This is a guy that's going to work on the defense. This is a guy that's not going to go to a press conference unless someone makes him. This is a guy that's going to look at video all day. This is a guy that's going to evaluate personnel all day. This is what he does. He's going to look at all the x-rays before he does surgery. All right, Coach. And one last thing from Clay in L.A. He uh, wanted us to talk about the basketball team. We're not exclusively football. Obviously, that's what we talk about most of the time. But he wanted to give a shout-out to the Hoops team. And he wants everyone, all the USC fans out there, to be proud of the boys of how well they've played and stayed motivated despite the sanctions and penalties that have been hanging over their heads in the, the postseason ban, of course. I've only, unfortunately, I've only been to two of the games this year, but they were both blowout wins, uh, so it was the last game they went. I went over to Galen Center. They beat the crap out of Washington, and 
when they beat Tennessee as well. Uh, but, yeah, I just wanted to give a little shout-out. Have you seen any games this year, Coach? Uh, they've been playing actually really well. Now, I haven't seen them in person because I've had conflicts, but I try to watch them all the time on television. And I'll and I tell you, I really think Kevin O'Neill has done a great job with that team. I'll tell you, they're very sound. They play hard. Uh, uh, with going through the controversy they have gone through and losing some of the recruits, but these guys stepping up and playing, I'll tell you, they look good to me. They look good. I enjoy watching them play because they give a true effort. You know, they hadn't lost to Stanford by one point, and they hadn't blown a 15-point lead against Washington State. They'd be in first place in the back then. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Now, you know, huh? It's crazy, yeah. It, it, it is, and I tell you, you see the same great effort from them. And, you know, the other day the people were saying, how come you didn't substitute as far as when you're up by some 20 points against Washington the other night? And he says, well, you don't substitute. What he's trying to do is make a point there that, yeah, we were up by 15 the night before, or the day, two days before on Thursday, and we blew it. So I'm not going to do any substituting until we learn that we're going to play hard the entire game. We're not going to blow leads. And we're going to make sure we win. The W is damn important, whether we're going to the playoffs or not. And these kids have bought into him. If you watch him, they have bought into him. And he's a strict disciplinarian, and the kids play hard, and they're sound. They go to the boards. I love the way that they go to the boards. They move the ball around well. They haven't allowed the outside controversy to me when I watch them play bother them at all. And I'll tell you what, it's a good good thing, this is my feeling, of course, that all of the discussions of what happened at SC is behind them. When Mike Garrett came up and, and, and with the decision of not going to the playoffs, not going to Pac-10 tournament, so on, it, it's over. There's nothing to write about. There's nothing to talk about. It's time to move on. The recruits know exactly what's happened. The players know what's happened. I mean, the people still like to write about it, but there's nothing to read about. It's over. And I think that was one of the best things that Mike Garrett did is bite the bullet, bring the hatchet down, get it done, and move on. And I think that's what's made this team very aggressive in their playing to that that uh, negative they're turning a negative to positive yeah it's a shame that they're not going to be able to at least make another run in the pac-10 tournament or the ncaa tournament or nit or whatever but usc fans should be proud of the way these guys are playing and i think uh, o'neill's got this program going the right direction well coach thanks very much and we, i know we went a little long in this segment but we got a lot of right. we got a lot of recruiting to get to as well so we're going to talk with gerard martinez after the 30 second break and we'll get with him, talk all about the recruiting class and how it's shipping up. But thanks again, Coach, for joining us, and we'll talk to you next week. And thank uh, you. And, Ryan, don't forget to thank Southern California Ticket Service. SCTickets.com, yes. So thanks again, Coach. Back in 30 seconds, we're going to talk with Gerard Martinez. Stay tuned. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. 
Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, and we are joined by uscfootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez. Gerard, it's like this is like Christmas time for you, huh? So much going on. It's just like Christmas time for me, but I'm Santa. Yeah. I'm kind of like Santa, <laughs> and I have to bring all the news to the boys and girls. So please, boys and girls, leave some cookies and milk out for me, please. Please help out, Gerard. He just turned 30 last week. You know, we, oh, we, here we go again. We got you. We didn't have you on the show because it was your 30th birthday. I posted his. <laughs> was that the reason why? <laughs> I posted his little birthday message on the, the message board. And uh, yeah, Gerard. I appreciated all the 80 plus whatever emails I got uh, <laughs> that morning. It was a pleasant surprise and uh, well wishes from everyone. And uh, I, I do appreciate the feedback. I, I definitely do. Uh, but, you know, I do have other emails I have to answer, too. So that that in itself was a – I guess that was an interesting interesting present. Certainly, certainly was. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed that. And uh, we had a really a nice dinner, so I had to make it up to Gerard for getting his email box filled up with USC fans thanking him. But they do appreciate what you do, Gerard. And this is the crunch time of – is really the biggest time of the year for our site and all the sites that cover college football out there on the Rivals Network. Uh, signing day one week away, one week from today. It's and awesome. It's just, go, it's just going crazy yeah. right now. It's just out of control. Everyone is just, uh, the rumors are flying all over the place. It's been pretty crazy. So, yeah, it's uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. That's that's what it is. And this year, not only just with the recruiting stuff, but there's also coaching hires and everything going on. So much going on. So it's uh, there's a lot going on. Check out uscfootball.com. I mean, really, you got to be on the peristyle like almost every minute because you got to figure out what's going on all the time. But we're, we have we got to figure out we got to figure out what we're going to do for our signing day show. So I think I'm I might be taping it from uh, one of our posters on the Peristyle Gift Horse is uh, having a little party at his house. We might do the podcast over at his place. I don't know. We're going to figure out what's going on with that, but it should be a lot of fun. Um, if there's a party, Ryan will find a reason to be there. Yes, and broadcast our podcast <laughs> semi-live with the fans. Take it to the fans. We can get questions, live questions right away. That would be good stuff. Um, anyway, all right. Well, we do got a ton of questions today. Podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address if you want to send us an email you have a question for the podcast always send us send it there podcast at uscfootball.com a lot of recruiting questions so let's get right down to it kevin is first up and uh he wanted to know why lane kiffin has been focused on recruiting safeties considering usc has depth at safety do you see usc filling its needs at linebacker on the offensive line thank you what do you think gerard what about the safety depth well USC doesn't necessarily have a lot of depth at safety. I think that's a assumption based on the roster for the past couple of years, but the truth is they're going to lose four starters in the secondary, and two of those guys are going to be safety, really three of those guys when you consider Josh Pinkers really more of a natural safety. So they're going to lose talent there. They're going to lose a guy like Taylor Mays. They're going to lose Will Harris and has aforementioned Pinkers. So that's a big impact uh, to the depth chart and to the roster. They want to bring somebody in um, who obviously, you know, has the ability to come in and, and you know, maybe push for starting time right away. You got T.J. McDonald from last year. Uh, Patrick Hall, we're kind of got to see where he plays. You know, he's enrolled right now. He's ready to go for spring ball. Well, he's not ready to go for spring ball. He's got an ACL tear, so he's actually not going to participate. But he's going to be able to be there in the film room. 
room and learn. And really, that's the most important thing right now for these guys that are freshmen and incoming guys that uh, haven't really played and have, don't have experience. It's the mental part of the game. It's the playbook uh, that they really got to get. So he's going to at least be involved with that aspect of it. But whether he plays safety or not remains to be seen. He could be able to play maybe some offense. It just depends on how this class turns out. But, yeah, USC is definitely recruiting a lot of safeties. A lot of guys, though, that are tweener prospects that can not only play safety but maybe play cornerback as well. you got guys like Latuan Anderson, who's only about 5'10", maybe 190 pounds. Um, you know, a smaller guy that definitely has that explosiveness and that physicality to play safety, but he's also really fast and he's quick and he might be able to have the hips to play corner. The same thing can be said for a guy like DeMar Dorsey. DeMar Dorsey is 6'1", 175. Not a huge safety. He may play that position a little better because he covers ground. He's a 10.55 in the 100 meters. Uh, but, you know, if he can have the hips and he can show the feet, maybe in that Tampa 2 you could put him at corner and he's a guy with that height could really be a valuable pickup for USC. And obviously, these are out-of-state guys. There's a lot of offers going out late, and they're really the majority of them going out-of-state. USC's not going to get all these guys. Dorsey specifically is a guy that a lot of people think is going to flip-flop to Florida State. He took a visit to Florida State last week, and a lot of people are saying, eh, you know, maybe he's already committed to Florida State. Sounds like he's still going to take his visit to USC, and you never know what's going to happen, but he is out there all the way in Florida. So, you know, we can talk about all these names, and and everybody's pumped up because it's a huge recruiting weekend right now. Uh, you've got, you know, almost 10, looks like you're going to have about 10 official visitors at this point, maybe even more than that. And, yeah, there's a few safeties out there. And you've got guys locally like Dietrich Riley and Sean Parker who are both kind of sitting there and they're kind of waiting. Dietrich Riley is probably going to be a post-signing day decision at this point. Um, he's talking about maybe visiting Ole Miss this weekend instead of visiting USC. He said that if USC did not have a defensive back coach in place, that he would want to visit somewhere else or postpone his visit to USC maybe until they actually sign somebody. Well, USC went out and they've hired Willie Matt Garza. This is one of the reasons why uh, Edric Lofton, another safety prospect who's just popped up here uh, from Texas, Irving, Texas, he's a guy that's you know, another kind of Latuan Anderson type safety, a guy who's smaller in that 5'10 range, 5'11, 195 pounds, 200 pounds, smaller guy, but very explosive. Hits like a truck for a small guy. Kind of reminds you of Troy Palomalu. Uh, you know, some of those guys that are like uh, the Bob Sanders types that come up near the line of scrimmage and are small, and you don't expect them to be real physical type safeties, but they are. You know, Willie Matt Garza, Texas Connections, went to the University of Texas, was a grad assistant there. Um, he's from Texas. He's in there, he's recruiting. A guy like Lofton may visit this weekend because of those connections. They have Lofton in place, uh, or excuse me, they have Garza in place. So maybe now, you know, a guy like Riley says, okay, Garza's in place. USC's coming on their in-home visit with, uh, with Lane Kiffin this week. Uh, maybe, you know, I think it's a chance Riley maybe flip-flops also and comes in on an official visit this weekend. Um, a lot of people feel like he's leaning towards UCLA. Well, he's been at UCLA uh, a couple weekends there and been around the program a lot more. Rick Neuheisel's been, you know, really recruiting him hard. And uh, the defensive back coach, uh, Connor Lake, has been recruiting him hard. They've been involved with him a lot more because – USC has been in this transition period, but now USC has that defensive backs coach, so you know there's a chance that he doesn't have to necessarily wait and visit USC after signing day. So all this stuff is still playing out. You know, there's still a lot of uh, and, and Lofton. You know, talking about Edric Lofton, he's a guy that you know his visit isn't necessarily set up yet either. 
Garza was talking to the coaches at the school uh, in, in Irving, and they talked to him about it, and obviously he's got a good relationship with them, but there's no green line on him actually officially visiting yet. So, you know, again, that, that may be a guy that's not even on the board. So all of this stuff, very fluid, a lot happening right now. Just like Ryan said, you've got to hit that refresh button, you know, every couple <laughs> minutes just to keep up with everything because there's a lot of updates going on. And, um, you know, we're on the edge of it. We're, we're giving it to you just as it's happening almost. It's kind of crazy. I mean, like I said, Lofton, that, that, that visit isn't even a done deal yet. It's still in the process. So, you know, we'll kind of have to wait and see. But, um, yeah, USC loses some guys, so they're going to try to bring some guys in, and they've got some opportunities to start, and that's why these kids want to come in and check it out. All right. Uh, thanks, Kevin, for that one. Let's go to David. He had a couple questions. He had like four, but we're going to have to cut a couple of them out because we don't – we have so many questions. We need to get to everyone, so we'll get a little bit from everybody. Uh, first up for him – Talk about Dylan Baxter out of San Diego. Do you think USC is going to use him more of a running back, wildcat guy, or a wide receiver? If he is a receiver, do you think that position will be a little crowded with Baxter, Woods, Prater, and the possibility of uh, Ambles coming in? I think you're going to see the same thing from Baxter as you saw at the Army All-American game. I think he's going to get some looks at receiver, and he's going to get some looks at running back. I wouldn't be surprised if he actually ends up playing more running back in spring ball than he does receiver, mainly just because if he has to play running back because of depth situations, obviously you know, you're losing Stephon Johnson, you're losing McKnight, um, and there's been some injuries there with guys like Mark Tyler. If you need him to play running back, really one of the more important things uh, at, at either of those positions, whether he's playing receiver or running back, being a running back and being able to block and pass protection is just huge. And that's one of the harder things for these kids to learn coming out of high school. Um, they didn't do a lot of it. Uh, and Baxter really did none of it because he played quarterback in high school. So you're talking about a guy who now he might have to you know, protect the quarterback in passing situations and not be a guy that has the ball in his hands. That will be one of the most important things that he has to learn, and this coaching staff might want to bring him in and put him at running back just in case you know they have to use him there or they want to use him there more because they just like his skills there more. That's going to be one of those things that's going to really be you know can they put him on the field early? You know can they feel confident with it? It all depends on pass protection, pass blocking. Okay, um, so that. But what about the crowdedness of the receiver position? You don't think that that would be a problem? crowdedness is not an issue when it's competition. I mean, the guy that's going to be the best is going to play. They'll put 90 guys out there and they'll figure out who's the best. And then they'll figure out afterwards. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, 80 of these guys we don't need at receiver. We can put them somewhere else. But, you know, to begin with, I don't think that's an issue. I don't think they're, you know, him and Han going, okay, well, we got ambles. We got all these guys. You know, you put them all out there, you see who the best guy is. And then you see, okay, who's the most versatile? Who's the guy we can move in another position and contribute the most? Way to roll with that. I don't think crowdedness is a word, but uh, I don't know. That just popped into my head, but cool. All right. Well, David, thanks for that. One last one from David Gerard. He wanted to know, uh, he's always worried about UCLA's recruiting. Uh, You know, obviously a USC rival. People get worried about that. The fans want to find out what's going on. Um he has to deal with a bunch of Bruin friends, so he wanted to know about their class. They've got guys like Anthony Barr, Chris Ward, Malcolm Jones, Jordan James, and some people think they'll get guys like Hayes Pullard, Anthony Jefferson, Cassius Marsh, uh, Ricky Hemuli, uh Got a shot at guys like Riley, Owa, Zumwalt. Do you think it's going to be a good class? What do you think of this class overall for UCLA, how it's shaping up for them? I think it's going to be an excellent class. It's it's really fallen into place with them. And, and, you know, you can point to the transition USC's gone 
on here with with Kiffin coming in and, and some of the other coaches leaving and, and kind of giving USC a, or excuse me UCLA a window to sneak in there with a guy like Pullard, who I think USC had a good shot at, and Ryan especially being the guy that I think USC really had a lead for for a while and it seems the transition has definitely changed things for him. Um, I wouldn't put you know USC out of the picture for those guys, but you know definitely right now it seems like they're leaning. So yeah, you, you got to be, you got to, you know, call it like it is. They're putting together a really good class. I think the most important thing for them is that they're putting together a class with some defensive linemen. Um, you know, if they can get Himalini, if they can get uh, Cassius Marsh, which actually they thought Cassius Marsh, if they can keep Cassius Marsh, that's the big thing. Cassius Marsh is, uh, he's good for another what, another couple commitments I think before signing day. <laughs> a week so, left, sure. You know, <laughs> he just decommitted from LSU after being committed to Cal, after being committed to USC. Finally, hush hush. It's the whole thing with him, and and but I mean, it sounds like he's probably going to stick with UCLA and, and and be solid with them and actually sign with them at least right now. Um, but that's kind of where I think UCLA really makes out with this class. They had good skill players last class and, and even the class before, um, but it's really about what are they doing on the line now I think the trick for UCLA which you know they're, they're not going to say anything right now is to try to make a guy like Ricky Yumeli or maybe Cassius Marsh into an offensive guard because while they have a very good class they're are they are a little skill heavy still, and I think you got to find some offensive linemen somewhere in here. And there's not a lot of great offensive linemen in California or nationally uh, as prospects go. So really, I think one of those guys probably going to become an offensive lineman. And then you you start to say, okay, the class is a little more balanced. Um, if they can't convince one of those guys to come and play offensive line, then they still may have some issues. But at least you know defensive tackle, they're they're pretty good there. Um, you know, still maybe not as much depth as, as they'd like, considering that you know their offensive line is is just it's had no depth. And they've got guys you know like uh, like Suafilo leaving and going on a mission, and they got Stanley Haziak who's uh, you know, got anger management problems, and he's taken off back to Hawaii. Got kicked off the team. That doesn't help when you have, you know, your two guys that actually contributed last year leaving the team. Um, so, like I said, you know, some of these defensive linemen that they're bringing in, they might end up getting pushed over to guard uh, by the time fall camp is over. But it's a good class, and if they can steal guys, um, you know, like Riley, who, who looked like a USC lean for the longest time, uh, it gets better. And Anthony Barr was a steal from Notre Dame. Notre Dame. You know, honestly, I think at this time last year or even, geez, probably in September, those guys would have told you this whole staff should fire itself if we don't get Anthony Barr. He had so many family ties to Notre Dame, it was crazy, and they still managed to lose him, and that's a whole other can of worms with Notre Dame right now. But, yeah, UCLA has definitely got a good class going out. I mean, I think it's uh, – it's going to be around that top ten, and, and we'll see, you know, if they can sneak up uh, a little higher than that. It just depends on how they close on signing day. All right. And one last thing from David. You don't have to take too long, but uh, he wanted to know how you, Gerard Martinez, gets uh, some of the recruiting information that you get. I mean, it, I don't want to toot the own, our own horn on the site, and especially you, Gerard, but we've got more. Recruiting uh, guru. Recruit, well, we've got a lot of praise just out of the blue. Yeah. Uh, especially with this coaching surf stuff going on and all the, the breaking news on recruiting. I mean, I think we really pride ourselves in trying to be out there with accurate information out there first for the, you know, for our subscribers. And I think the last few weeks we've been just getting a ton of posts, people just posting, you guys do a great job. And Gerard, you're definitely a huge part of that, getting all this recruiting stuff. But I mean, you seem to know when a guy, when a coach goes in home or they get a, make an official visit or, when they plan an official visit or get an offer, things like that. Where, what's the the best way, I guess, in a nutshell, that you can uh, find out all that information? 
it's rapport, it's relationships, it's talking to the kids and just uh, doing the grunt work and getting around and kind of just, you know, knowing, I think, the process also helps you, you know, you kind of start to get a, a, a feel for trends and, and kind of what the coaches are looking for and how they've recruited, and obviously as being a new coaching staff, there's going to be some different, you know, changes. And, and I think, you know, they hit the ground running. I don't know that they're going to recruit like they're recruiting right now throughout next year like that. I mean, it's definitely seemed to been, you know, it's a unique situation here that they're in where it's, you know, there's only a couple of weeks till signing day and I think they want to make a splash and they've sent out a lot of offers. Um, but I think, you know, maybe it doesn't really, it's not going to be like that prolonged. Uh, but, you know, with the last staff, you kind of get a, a feel for trends and stuff. So it's, it's that and the combination of just going out there and making calls and, and talking to kids and talking to high school coaches and, and knowing people and you get those little tips bits of information and you just work hard and you just try to put you know the pieces of the puzzle together well you're excellent at putting those pieces together gerard and where i'm really glad you're with us because uh, he's been a huge help so if you haven't checked out his work you only listen to him on the podcast check out uscfootball.com the message boards peristyle especially gerard's always dropping scoop there's always something going on so he's all over it um next question gerard sam Previously on the Peristyle Podcast, we've talked about Pete Carroll usually not signing a full class of 25 guys. Um, now there's been a lot of rumors that Lane Kiffin came in, made a lot of scholarship offers. Someone, I think uh, the Daily News reported like 50 scholarship offers went out since he came in. Um, but, you know, there, there's been some new scholarship offers to people that Pete Carroll and his staff were not recruiting for sure. Um, how many commitments do you think USC is going to end up with the class of 2010 if you can kind of make some kind of estimate and do you think the USC is going to try to oversign a class like Florida did or Florida looks like they're going to do with more than 25 commitments and then have some of the early commitments enroll for last year's class? Well, there are some rules for oversigning now, and I don't think a school like USC is really looking to do that anyways. Um, it's difficult. If you look at how many offers have gone out, then you'd say, yeah, sure, they're going and you're going to have a class of 33. Um, but that's not going to happen. I think you're looking – right at a full class of 25 or there around. I think it's going to be definitely more than we've seen that 1920 average than they've had. Um, but I'd still be surprised if they got over 26 um, because they do have some, you know, early enrollees and we're going to see what happens with Anthony Brown here, who's still waiting for the clearinghouse to uh, review his transcripts and review uh, really his SAT scores and see if he's an early enrollee as well. But you have Dylan Baxter and you have Kyle Prater already in school, uh, which is good because USC, uh, I think they can use that against the last class and, um, and count those numbers away from this class. So, they can probably bring in a little more than a full class, but I think you're going to see right out of full class. And, um, again, you know, there's a lot of offers, and there's going to be a lot of guys visiting. Um, I think they're going to get some guys that people don't think that they could have gotten beforehand. But, again, this is a unique situation, and I think it's a situation that doesn't present itself uh, regardless of, of what Pete Carroll does or, or what coaching changes Pete Carroll makes. I think it's just the fact that it's a new regime and it just has people talking, and it's uh, it's the aggressiveness of, of Lane Kiffin and Ed Ergeron and, and how they go about doing things, and they've taken advantage of the situation. It could go either way on them, honestly. It could have gone very bad, and they could have lost commitments from a very solid class already, or it goes very good, which is kind of where it is right now. I don't think there's an in-between, and it's going very good right now from a, you know, on-the-surface standpoint, but, you know, it, the results speak for themselves on signing day. That's when we that's when we look at the class yeah. and say, these are the guys you signed. This is actually what happened. And that's the ultimate test of whether it was a successful year or, or you know, all these offers really were for not. 
Yeah, I mean, when you look at the class, I mean, what what the commitments that Pete Carroll had, I think the first step in the first order of business was for Lane Kiffin to come in, meet some of these guys, and keep them. And Definitely. I mean, he really did that. He did an excellent job. I and mean, you can't emphasize enough that he's really done a nice job of doing that. There wasn't going to be any major casualties from this class where you see it like Tennessee, there was a, you know, an explosion of commitments that were lost and you know, you can get some back and some you're not going to get back, but it doesn't look like I'm in the USC. <laughs> yeah. But it doesn't look like anyone that Kiffin really wanted is gone. You know, that they're, they're going to stick with their commitment and stay with USC. So that's a good thing for USC fans, of course, but the, the real part will be, you know, that's the cake. How much icing is there going to be there? How much gravy is on this? Not that you want to put gravy on cake, but you understand what I'm saying? Like, they can get some four- and five-star guys that maybe weren't even on the radar before uh, and, and certain guys that they were in on already. It, how many of those guys they can bring in is really what's going to make this class. But I think it's successful already that, you just, that Kiffin was able to keep what you have, what they already had there. Now it's just going to see how much gravy they're going to pour on top of it. Yeah, and it's definitely, you know, with the amount of offers, and not the amount of offers, I mean, offers are offers, and basically all these offers right now are verbal offers and not written offers. There's not enough time to be sending out written offers and doing all that kind of stuff. They're calling guys saying, hey, you want to visit USC? You got interest in USC? Okay, cool. We like you a lot. We saw your tape. We want you to come in. And then it's from that point, that's where, okay, let's get serious and try to bring this momentum that they have right now right into signing day because this is this weekend – Man, it backs up right into signing day. Uh, we're talking about kids coming in on the 29th, and 48 hours later they go home. There's still a little bit of that high. And, and February 3rd, I mean, that is signing day. So it's a little different situation. You've had some weekends where USC's brought in a bunch of different out-of-state recruits, and maybe they do that for the Notre Dame game. Maybe they do that for the UCLA game. And then you have December and January for those local schools to kind of put the pressure on them to be a lot of talk. And you get guys like Alshon Jeffries who decides – Hey, you know what? I want to stay close to home after being committed to USC for longer than you know most of the year. And then at the end, he just decides I can't leave my mom. Well, this situation with the visits, you know, these guys coming from out of state this late, and especially guys that are just kind of getting involved with USC. And I mean, again, there's a high from being on a USC visit because it's Los Angeles and it's a great visit. I mean, when you look across the country and you look at what impact visits are, Texas. Florida, some of those schools that just seem to do it with official visits. USC's on that list, and then you combine that with just getting the USC offer and just getting the interest from USC at this point. Uh, a lot of these kids are going, wow, yeah, USC. Well, Twan Anderson, USC is quote-unquote my dream school. So you have that factor in with just, okay, get them in on the visit and see in Los Angeles. It can be overwhelming, and it's going to be interesting because where maybe previous years, you know, where these things happen months before signing day, a kid got involved, maybe he made a silent commitment, maybe he made a public commitment, but he had time to necessarily go, uh, maybe not, maybe not, maybe not, and back off of it. If he's committing, he's going to be signing now in this class. And I think that's the thing where if they could just get, you know, get enough of these guys in and just, you know, get one or two of these guys, like a, a Nikel Roby, uh, you know, who Monty Kiffin seems to be really, really high on. Uh, the talk from uh, their AD is that Monty Kiffin is, is, is there more than, you know, the high school head coach anymore uh, at, at Frostproof High School. And this kid's 5'8", 165 pounds. He's a corner. That's got to be something to that kid if Monty Kiffin just loves him that much. I mean, that's kind of a weird off-the-radar guy that, you know, maybe USC gets a guy like that, and then they get a Chaz Green, and then they get a couple guys 
all of a sudden, hey, man, they come off looking like geniuses because you're stacking on this class and you're stacking on some of these other prospects they've been on a long time, uh, like Chantrell Henderson and, uh, you know, maybe even like a guy uh, like uh, Sean Parker or Dietrich Riley, and that it, it all comes together. But, again, we'll see what happens on signing day because right now, I mean, this is a unique situation. Not a lot of coaching staffs have done this. Not a lot of coaching staffs have even been in uh, this type of uh, circumstance. Right. All right. Well, let's uh, get to our last couple of questions from Art in Chicago. He is a member of the USC class of 2001, proud member, and he wants to know what's up with Dak Smith. Uh, <laughs> what's going on with his recruitment? What's up with Dak Smith? That's a good question that I get asked occasionally. And uh, I don't usually have a, a really good answer for that. Um, I don't know if I have the most informed answer even now. I know that Dak Smith is uh, struggling in school, and it's uh, kind of a shame because, you know, he's a guy that had a 4.0 GPA coming out of his sophomore year, was a really good student, and then he just kind of let it all slip. And I uh, got his offer from USC and, um, you know, kind of looked upon as a legacy at USC. He's the uh, son of Tody Smith and uh, who played with the original Wild Bunch. And this is a kid that, you know, he's 6'7", uh, right now he's probably about 395, but this is a guy that, you know, you look at as a project, you go, man, this kid could be a Terrence Cody. If he just has the light bulb go on and he just realizes his talent and his focus, if it all comes together, the kid could be dynamite. And um, at this point, it doesn't seem like that light bulb is going on. And he's, you know, got a lot of support. And that offer from USC was really his only offer that I know of, uh, especially, you know, when he got offered, it was clearly his only offer. Um, I don't know if anybody else has come on him late. But at this point, uh, academically, He's struggling, and, um, you know, it's been a little bit of an off-and-on thing. And, you know, with that 4.0, it helped him out, uh, you know, overall. But he just continued to struggle. And so that's – we're going to have to see how that goes. Um, you know, it, it, this is going to be an issue of whether he can get his grades together and if he has a, 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 the potential um, to have a good, you know, last semester of high school. Um, because, again, you know, I, I, I think really the project part of it, the football part of it, I don't think there's a lot of issue there with USC. I think they're willing to go on them. Uh, I know the last staff was willing to go on them. And, I mean, obviously they offered them and they knew that, you know, there were some issues going on. But at this point, you know, with the new staff, yeah, he and a guy like Brad Schwab who actually decommitted from USC last, uh, last week and ended up uh, now he's enrolling at Arizona State, which is kind of, I mean, not to be – uh, cynical, but a little odd how a guy cannot get into one school and he's enrolling in the next school, you know, the next week. Um, those are the two guys that, you know, evaluation-wise, I think the coaching staff, Edward Duran, Lane Kiffin, had to come in and look at those guys and really figure out, you know, these guys, can they play for us? Can they be a part of this program? And, you know, uh, Dak, from what I understand, is still committed, but Dak is uh, he's a hard guy to track down and get real good information on. Um but I do know from talking to some good sources uh, near and around him, uh, he's continued to struggle uh, with his grades. So, I mean, that's, that's going to be something we're going to have to watch. If he's a part of this class, you know, we'll see. Uh, he, he may sign, but he may not be a guy that actually gets in. All right. And then uh, one last one. Let's look ahead to the class of 2011 because you're already putting a lot of stuff together, and we've had some updates on that class on uscfootball.com. But how does the linebacker class of 2011 look? Any stud California guys? who have already indicated a high interest in USC? You know, I don't think it's going to be like that 2009 class. Um, I, I don't see any, you know, Vontaze perfect level type players. It's going to be better than this year. Um, you can almost say, how could it not be better than this year? But it is going to be better than this year. I, I think, uh, 
some guys that, you know, jumped out at us, at least locally. Um, a guy like Corey Waller is a very good player from Long Beach Poly. He's about 6'1", 200 pounds. Saw him at the underclassmen, Army Combine, and uh, ran well. Actually played pretty well as a linebacker. He's a guy that's been a tweener, has played a lot of defensive end, and also played a little bit of Mike. Um, but he's, you know, been a guy who's been in the program at the varsity level for really almost four years, about three years, but he played a little bit as a freshman as well in the playoffs and uh, has been, you know, pretty good contributor for them. He's a guy that USC is going to look at, uh, not the biggest guy in the world, not the biggest linebacker. Like I said, he's only about 6'1", 200 pounds. Um, but, you know, beggars can't be choosers, and I think uh, with a lot of players out here, you've got to give them a little time uh, to develop. I think Woodson Greer is another guy that when you're talking about a development-type player, uh, there's a kid that you know is kind of coming along a little bit. Uh, didn't really hear a lot about him early in the season, and he wasn't a guy that was a big sophomore guy. Uh, there's a there's a kid uh, at Sarah High School, which is the high school he goes to, which is his teammate Jason Gibson, who's about six two, six three, uh, two hundred fifteen pounds. He's a guy that's already got a bunch of offers, and he was a guy that was already like a starter and already contributing a lot as a sophomore earlier in that uh, in that program. You, you kind of got buzz on him. Greer's kind of come along a little more here um, towards this year, and I, I think. He's built maybe a little better as a linebacker. Um, really good sideline to sideline guy. Not the pure athlete that Jason Gibson is, but about 6'2", and he's, he's got to be a little bit, I'd say about 205, getting, getting closer to that 210-pound range. Could be another guy that we have to look at that, again, is a guy that develops a little more. I mean, they're not all Vontez Berthick when they come out of high school. Uh, Jalen Jefferson's a kid from uh, St. Bonaventure High School up in Ventura, who's uh, a guy who's played some safety, but really is probably going to end up being more of a Sam linebacker, about 6'2", 200 pounds, 205 pounds, a good player. Rodney, uh, Rodney uh, Hardrick from Colton High School um, is about 6'2", uh, about 100, eh, well, I'd say about 200 pounds. Um, he's a kid that's uh, coming back from a, from a knee injury that, uh, you know, he, he hurt himself here in his junior season, but was really good uh, his sophomore year. Again, kind of like Jason Gibson, who I refer to, and he's, he's a little more that defensive end kind of tweener at this point. Uh, you know, Hardrick is a guy that came in and, and really was I mean, he was one of the best players on his team, actually, as a sophomore. At least towards the end of the year, we saw him play against Ranch Cucamonga, and he made some really big plays for them, both on offense and defense. And he played really well at the beginning of this season, but again, now he's got a, a knee injury, so we got to see how he comes back from that. Uh, but again, not a ton of guys that are just jumping out that are going to be, you know, these incredible beasts that are these 6'2", 240-pound guys. You're going to see a lot of guys in that 6'1", 6'2", range, 200 pounds, 205 pounds, but very athletic, uh, but you kind of have to see how they project and how they develop. So, yeah, it's a better year next year. Is it that uber great year that, you know, everybody's hoping for? If USC doesn't lock in on some linebackers this year, no, it's not. It's not quite that big this year. Nationally, maybe that helps out a little bit. All right. Well, Gerard, thanks again for all of your insights. And uh, we're going to have to talk to you sometime next week because it's this big day called Signing Day. So, everyone, one week from today. Big show, signing day. Make sure you tune in. We're going to try and get up ASAP and get all the information of all the stuff that's coming in. Analysis from Gerard, and we'll talk to some other people as well. But thanks again, Gerard, for joining us, and uh, we will talk to you next week. Awesome, man. Looking forward to it. All right, everyone else, thank you for tuning in. Don't forget, signing signing day show next week, one week from today. We will talk to you then. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 